Well, I'd certainly acknowledge that there's work to do. Um, and Gio is an important player to this team. He's an extremely talented individual. And uh, I have the obligation and the commitment to coach him like I coach every other player. And I want, I want to get the best out of him. We want to get the best out of him. And we know that if, if we can unlock his talents, um, he's going to be a game changer for this program. So there's work to do. And part of it is working together with Matt and, and trying to build, rebuild a relationship that we know will be important moving forward. ESPN Plus from lovely and steaming hot Las Vegas. You got a great shot of Allegiant Stadium where the CONCACAF Nations League Final will be played on Sunday night between the United States and Canada. Also earlier Sunday, the third place match between Mexico and Panama. Great to be with you in the city of Sin, alongside one of its native sons, Hercules oh, Gomez. You're going to say sinners? No, 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 no. Come on, that's <laughs> that's your that's your conscious. Uh, we just saw the first question of the Greg Burhalter press conference. Does it surprise you it was about Gio? No. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, it, it doesn't. I, I'm I'm surprised he wasn't asked about more players. But honestly, Gio is the elephant in the room. The drama with Gio and Burhalter, I should say, is the elephant in the room. So of course we got uh, a lot to discuss on that front. Jeff Carlisle, our colleague from ESPN.com, going to join us in just a little bit. He's been, of course, uh, reporting all over this story. We will be looking ahead to Sunday. There is the matter of the final, United States against Canada. We'll give you a full preview of that. And then we'll talk about some potential changes to Mexican football, big and small, uh, to maybe try to dig their way out of the hole that we saw the Mexican team in last night against the United States. But let's start with last night's big news, Herc, that turned into today's big press conference. That's right, downtown Las Vegas, where Greg Berhalter was reintroduced as U.S. men's national team manager some six months after his contract was allowed to expire following the World Cup. Alongside Burhalter, U.S. soccer president Cindy Parlo-Cohn, CEO J.T. Batson, sporting director Matt Crocker. Let's listen in to the highlights. I don't know how much we're willing to share, but it was extensive. I mean, basically a series of interviews um, over a couple days, and then uh, in the day itself was close to... 10 hours of, of different testing and, and conversations and tasks being prepared. So overall, again, I, I left the, the, um, the day basically impressed, impressed with Matt, impressed with his process, impressed how he, he looked at things and um, thought to myself, this could be a good partner to move forward with because of the thoroughness of, of how he's going about this. So we're looking at coach behaviors. So the type of coaches that uh, there's a number of data sets and skills where coaches, you can identify whether coaches are front-footed coaches, aggressive coaches, whether coaches can reflect our style of play and continue to evolve that. So that was the, the beginning point. Um, the second thing was very much around things like ELO rating, uh, coaches that are winning coaches, coaches that have got a repu reputation of developing young players. Um, and that turned us, and that churned out what I would call um, double-figure coaches. So, uh, you know, in double digits on every step of the way Greg scored uh, you know phenomenally and we're really excited to have him here and it was a worldwide search so not at one point during the process did I think we needed or we could only focus on a, a smaller pool of, of US talent for example at the start of this process we had a clear alignment from our board to go find the best coach 
uh, and then we'd figure out how we pay for it. Uh, and so, as, as Matt's attested, there have been no restrictions on that front. Obviously, we take accusations of domestic violence very seriously. Um, and as all of you in this room know, um, there was an independent investigation into the matter, and we trust those findings. Um, and Greg has our full support. Why are you not coaching in the Gold Cup? Because uh, <laughs> it seems like the USSF has a head coach finally, but you're not going to be coaching in that event. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a good one for me to take. Um, you know, we, we've, we've chatted quite a lot about this, and, you know, what we didn't want to create was the environment of, um, you know, Greg puts his boots straight back on, slides back into the environment, and it's very much business as usual. You know, as I mentioned, there's some, you know, real big ticket items around, you know, some real strategic stuff over the next couple of seasons that we need to map out first. Um, you know, the team is in good hands. Um, you know, clearly Greg, the staff have done a terrific job and the players over the last couple of years about, you know, it's not about one individual. Um, you know, they've had to deal with quite a, a, amount, a significant amount of change uh, in, the last, uh, in the last few months. But what they've been able to do is to, again, maintain that style and that identity because it runs through, uh, through everybody. Um, you know, so from, from that point of view, um, you know, it gives myself and Greg the real great opportunity of spending some real time together, uh, working through and piecing together the framework of that strategy for 2026 that we can then br bring back to the staff and players to start to get their inputs to really develop it together collectively. I think that was the most important part. All right, time now to welcome into the show our good friend and colleague from ESPN.com, Jeff Carlisle. Jeff's been around this beat for a, uh, a very, very long time. Of course, we give credit to the guys over the, the Athletic. They broke this news, but I know, Jeff, you've been reporting on it for, uh, for quite some time, this story. So uh, if we could start with just your reporting of maybe the last week or two, because it seems like this was a real gradual process for months, and then over the last two weeks, things heated up, got to a boil, and the decision was pretty quickly reached. Yeah, I mean, it has been kind of a slow boil. Um, you know, obviously, everyone who's been following the story has been checking in with people to see where things stood. Um, you know, the the information was definitely at, at a slow trickle. Uh, you know, things really started to heat up. And, you know, you heard about Greg Berhalter uh, being considered by Sparta Rotterdam in the Netherlands and then also Club America in, in Liga Amakis. Um and, but, you know, there was, I think there was one instance or one event that kind of really accelerated everything. And that was the news that Jesse Marsh was not going to get the job. And Jesse Marsh was the presumed front runner throughout a lot of this process, especially after he was let go by Leeds United earlier this year. So once that happened, um, the door really seemed to swing wide open for, for Greg Berhalter. And, um, you know, it, it seemed like, you know, the, the job was his to lose. And, you know, in, in listening to JT Batson talk about, you know, the past week, apparently, you know, Greg Berhalter interviewed on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And he went through that, like he said, the, the battery of tests and, and you know, the, 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 the various interviews. And he was on his way to the airport, uh, you know, to, to leave uh, the, the city where those interviews were taking place. And he was given the job over the phone or offered the job over the phone by Matt Crocker. So this all happened very quickly. Um, and you know, it's here we are. I mean, if you told me six months ago that Greg Berhalter was going to, you know, be back in, in charge of the U S men's national team after everything that had happened, after everything was investigated, 
I, I would have thought you were crazy. But um, certainly the investigation in the domestic violence, I mean, the USSF was satisfied about the steps that Greg and, and Rosalind Berhalter took to to uh, make amends and, and to you know, take restorative steps to, to, to try to move on from that. And, um, you know, it seemed like it was almost a courtesy thing. Like, you know, the USSF was still saying, hey, he's still a candidate. He's still a candidate. Um, but I don't think people really took it that seriously until, you know, say the last week or so. Very interesting stuff there. You know what was interesting from the uh, press conference today? Greg Berhalter admitted her that he was talking directly to Club America and that <laughs> when the opportunity for the interview that Jeff's talking about arose, he told Club America, hey, I, I got to go take yeah. this. So we had had some discussions whether he was using them, they were using Who leveraged him. too, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but it seems like the, at least the interest there from both sides uh, was very real. Jeff, uh, another question for you here. I want to get into the why, or at least what the Federation is telling us is the why behind uh, this decision. We hear things like data and ELO ratings. Hmm. Um, so so what, what are they leaning on to kind of explain this? Well, the way Matt Crocker explained it is that he had a very intensive and extensive process uh, for evaluating these coaching candidates. And, you know, he had a lot of metrics. Uh, he talked about a battery of, of practical and, and psychological tests. I think a lot of people reading that in the press release this morning found that didn't really take that seriously. Let's put it that way. Um, but just in hearing Crocker talk about it, it, it does seem like it was very involved. Uh, and, his, and he insists that the Greg Berhalter rose to the top uh, in terms of those measurements. Um, I do also think that the backing of the players really did have an effect and was uh, a significant source of support in terms of Berhalter's candidacy. Um, you've heard Christian Pulisic come out, Tim Weah come out uh, with strong support for Greg Berhalter, talking about how much, you know, just the culture that he built. I, you know, I think Tim Ream, you know, in previous months has made similar comments. You know, just talking about the brotherhood, the culture, how, how bonded everyone was and how they wanted to continue on this journey of trying to elevate the U.S. program to, to an even higher place in, in the world of soccer. So I think you, you basically mix all of those things together, and that's why Greg Berhalter has the job. But I, I do think the data, you know, from Matt Crocker's perspective, really did carry the day with, you know, a big assist from the, from the existing player pool. You know, I'm just curious. You guys were at the press conference. If Matt Crocker actually said the players and their input was a huge influence in hiring Greg Berhalter. Jeff? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, we always ask that question, like, you know, were the players consulted? And usually you're told, no, I mean, you know, we, we kept the players out of this. Um, but, you know, this time they, they were involved. You know, they were consulted. And uh, you could kind of see – the steady drip, drip, drip of support for, for Greg Berhalter from the players and, and making those comments public, you know, in the past week during training camp. So, uh, again, it was an interesting approach. Um, I, I think it, it was definitely kind of a new way of doing things for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, but we're, we are in the same spot that we were six months ago where Greg Berhalter looked to be heading towards re-signing and, and getting a new contract with the U.S. Soccer Federation. And here we are. And so the question was asked, you know, was this kind of a waste of time? Um, the powers that be, whether it's JT Batson, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, uh, Matt Crocker, they all insist that it wasn't. Um, but 
it, it is going to call into question the process a little bit and just how they arrived at this decision. We are in Las Vegas. Uh, shall we talk about some money? Because that's what I'm really curious about, the budget here, right? I asked J.T. Batson directly uh, in the press conference, what was the budget? And Jeff, he made it seem like there was no budget, yet we can't ignore the reality, which is they've, they've landed on a coach who's very financially accessible to U.S. soccer at a time when we are all looking to the 2026 World Cup as this moment where, you know, you should have massive ambitions, which usually come with massive costs. So right. um, from what you understand, Jeff, what what was the budget here? Like, what, what was the reality for, for this search? I mean, it, it's kind of tough to say. I mean, you know, you, you listen to some of the names that were thrown around, whether it was a Jose Mourinho or whether it was, you know, you, you hear about Mauricio Pochettino. I mean, those guys were making, you know, 10 million, 20 million a year. And it's just difficult to fathom that the U.S. Soccer Federation was going to be able to afford that. Um, so I, I think there definitely was a budget. Um, you know, I, I suspect it was more in the, you know, in the three to 5 million range. Um, you know, we'll see when the tax forms come out, uh, you know, in, in future months to get an exact sense of what Greg Berhalter is being paid. But, um, I, I do agree that financially he was, he was very palatable to the U S soccer federation. Um, you know, granted he'll make a little bit more than he did before. But uh, it's it's not going to break the bank at all for the for the USSF. So um, you know, I think I think they're happy with the, with the candidate they've gotten. But I think they're also with you know happy with the, the effect on the bottom line, which is not too crazy. Jeff, you're saying not too crazy in around the three to five million dollar range. Maybe who are those realistic candidates that were out there for Matt Crocker and US Soccer? Hmm. Well, I think Justin Marsh was definitely you know. Uh, a reachable candidate. Um, you know, he's really the only one that that has been confirmed uh, to have gone really deep in the process. I mean, Patrick Vieira's name came up as well, but uh, you know, I also heard that he hadn't been talked to in the last two weeks by U.S. Soccer. So I, I don't get the sense that he was really that serious a candidate or went that deep into the process. So again, we're we're looking at American options. Um, you know, Jesse Marsh, I think, held some appeal. Uh, just given his resume. Now, granted, his last two club stops have not ended well when you're talking about Leeds United and, and RB Leipzig. But, uh, you know, he did have some success in Austria. Now, granted, that was with the, the, the richest team in Austria, you know, that had the most resources. So, you know, you, you, you kind of have to weigh both of those situations, you know, with Salzburg, Leipzig and Leeds and, and, and maybe come to a conclusion about how desirable Jesse Marsh was. I, you know, I do think that, that Jesse has a, a pretty extensive resume and and it would not have surprised me to see him get the job. But, um, you know, Matt Crocker and, and Cindy Parlocone and JT Batson were pretty tight-lipped on who, you know, some of the other candidates were. Um, you know, they didn't want to violate privacy and, and, and out them, you know, given that some of them are no doubt in an existing job. So, uh, you know, for, for now, Jesse Marsh is the only one who has really been confirmed. And, it would have been uh, an understandable choice, but obviously the, the Federation chose to go in a different direction. You know, one name that also did come up, Herb, was Patrick Vieira. Right. Talking about money, that 3 to $5 million range, his reported salary in the Premier League is around $3.5 million. So we think of Vieira as, as maybe somebody that might not have been accessible, but if we do think that the budget is in that 3 to $5 range... And he checks so many boxes that for would, you. That would it certainly yes. uh, potentially you know, make him a, a candidate that was also accessible. Let's talk about the question of the Gold Cup. Uh, we hear about... <laughs> let me get this right. 
big ticket items okay. that the men's national team manager should be working on that are not coaching the men's national team. Jeff, what are those big ticket items? <laughs> that was not elaborated on. Um, I, I think it's it's probably more like strategic planning. That was the way. That was the other term that, that Matt Crocker used. Um, I think just in trying to map out uh, what tournaments the you know the, the team is going to participate in, what what friendlies they're going to try to line up. Um, you know, I think things of that sort. Now, I, I for one do not think that that is going to soak up so much bandwidth that Greg Berhalter can't you know, coach the team in the gold cup. Um, it, it's still to me a little bit confusing about why he's not taking over. Listen, I totally get why BJ Callahan is going to coach Sunday. I mean, they're in the middle of this competition. Um, he's been with the, the team for in camp for, you know, 10 days and you know, they come here and obviously they get a big win last night over Mexico. So it's understandable that the Callahan is going to lead the team on Sunday um, but I do think it, it's very curious that, that Greg Berhalter is not going to be involved in that. Um, yeah, it, it's a strange one for me, for sure. I mean, it's you can do all the planning that you want, but I, I don't really see how that is going to uh, impact coaching the team. I mean, there are just some, some nuts and bolts that, 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 you know, Greg Berhalter would be participating in that I don't think are going to change regardless of who the sporting director is. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely a curious decision for me and, and one that I still don't think I understand fully. So we'll have to, to get that fleshed out in yeah. the coming weeks. Yeah, you know what was interesting, uh, before you ask your last question, is when that question was asked in the press conference, Greg Berhalter looked like he wanted to answer and then kind of said, uh, Matt, maybe you should handle this. I, I don't think Greg Berhalter wants to miss the Gold Cup. Like right. You could see that he, he, he was like, I'll let somebody else handle this because I might not have Because it doesn't make sense. The best it's a reality. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure we'll get into it in the coming weeks, if not sooner than that. Uh, big elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Greg Berhalter coming back. Gio Reyna, the Reynas, the Berhalters. Did he speak on how this can coexist, his plan of action moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think they're just going to have to sit down and, 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 and find some common ground and, and agree to, to let the past be in the past and, and move forward. Um, I think Greg Berhalter understands very well how important Gio Reyna can be to this team. I think we saw it last night, you know, with Gio Reyna operating in kind of a central midfield role. And um, certainly the U.S. looked very dynamic at times, uh, you know, flanked by Tim Weah and, and Christian Pulisic. And then you got Pilaren Balogun, uh, you know, playing as, as a central striker. So, uh, again, I think Berhalter understands how big a player Gio Reyna can be. And it's, it's, it's you know, there are going to be some hard conversations for sure. Um, I think uh, he's going to have to listen to see how, you know, all of this impacted Gio Reyna and, and try to gain a deeper understanding of, of why he reacted the way he did in Qatar, where he, he was not giving his full effort in training. Um, so I think they're, it's a situation where the, the, the two people are going to have to meet in the middle and just agree that they're going to make the best of this situation. Um, and I, I don't see any reason why this can't succeed. Um, you know, certainly... It, it was an awkward situation. It was, you know, there were some things that Gio Reyna could have handled better. There's some things that Greg Berhalter could have handled better. Certainly making the, the reference to a player almost being sent home at that leadership conference. I mean, that was a mistake. I mean, point blank, that was not something that Greg Berhalter should have done. And so, um, so again, I think they're going to have to both of them hold up their hands and say, Hey, this is where I could have done better. And this is how we're going to try to fix it in the future. So, 
But that is by no means the only conversation, a difficult conversation that Greg Berhalter is going to have. I mean, he's going to talk to Zach Steffen. He's going to talk to Ricardo Pepe. Um, you know, both of those guys were, were some of the final cuts on the World Cup roster. And, you know, that's not an easy thing for a player to get over. I mean, I've talked to players, you know, like Brian Ching back in the day when, when Bob Bradley left him off. I mean, that's not some, sometimes that relationship is, is ir- not able to be repaired. It, it's not able to, to move mm-hmm. forward. So, um, you know, that can be a challenge. But again, I think Gio Reyna has got so much of his career in front of him. And Greg Berhalter's got another World Cup cycle as, as, as U.S. manager in front of him. So it's in, their both, it's in both people's interest to, to try to mend some fences and, and try to make this thing work. Oh, to have been a fly on the wall when the Reynas found out that Greg Berhalter was coming back. Just to have been a fly on that wall. All right, uh, that'll do it for our time here with Jeff. Jeff, thanks so much for giving us some time. I know you're going to be staying in Vegas uh, and covering the final on Sunday. We look forward to your work over at ESPN.com, as always. Thanks, guys. Our good friend, Jeff Carlisle, putting in the good work here in Las Vegas. Check out more from him over on the website. Meanwhile, we take a look at the numbers. Lots of data went into this decision. Data, 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 data. That's what the Federation wants. Double-digit data. That's right. Wants you to know went into this uh, process to bring back Greg Berhalter. All right. So... We now have the explanations, or as much of the explanations as we're going to have, I think, for a while. What do we think of the hiring now that we've got that context? What do you make of these explanations? Do they sit well with you? Still very underwhelming. I mean, it sounds... Do you understand the hiring any better today? No. Okay. No, absolutely not. So the explanations don't add up for you then still? No, no, and especially because of how you started. You didn't need sportsology. Maybe you needed sportsology to hire Matt Crocker, and maybe you needed sportsology to hire... Gooch and Wei Yu, who I don't know why you've already interviewed him twice. You know Gooch. Yeah, and I, yeah. Yeah, I know Gooch. You know Gooch. They've interviewed him before, yeah. before Sportsology was there. But it seems like a lot of time wasted and resources wasted. Mm. And quite frankly, even more confusion. Like, why isn't... Let's for a second get past that it's Greg Berhalter. Why isn't the coach coaching in a summer tournament? What are you paid to do? I, I, I was shocked. I, I really was. Sh- I literally, my jaw hit the floor in the press conference when he said big ticket items. I mean, that is to say that there are you know more important things for the national team manager to do than coach the national team. And actually what I think we heard there is we don't want to throw Greg into a position to kind of Take more Perfect. pressure. I agree. The do you, coach do you who comes agree? in. Hold on. Because I said this, right? Maybe they're not announcing the coach and they're doing the interim mm-hmm. to the interim because they don't want the new coach to come in and be in a, under immediate pressure, right? I said that. Yeah. Do you remember that? I said that two, three weeks ago. Fine. I understand that. Why announce it after the semifinal? Why not just wait until after Gold Cup? And well, then you, you announce Greg Berhalter. If that's no. the plan, why do it now? Why well, is the timing today? No, you have you have. You have to understand that they didn't want this to come out now. This was not their decision to... Somebody broke the news. It's not news being broken until Greg Berhalter confirms it or U.S. Soccer confirms it. It's just the Athletics saying it. Mm. It's very simple. Why do it now? And once you did it, why wait on it then? Why wait? Uh, Do we have a Christian Pulisic quote here, I believe? Yeah? Let's get to... uh, 
Christian Pulisic's quote about uh, the rehiring of Greg Berhalter. This is, of course, from last night after the 3-0 win. Today is a testament of the work that Berhalter put into this team. If that's not enough evidence, then that's all right. People are going to hate no matter what. They're going to hate no matter what, Her. What do you make of what Pulisic's saying there? We asked Jeff Carlisle, and I guess Matt Crocker was asked this as well. The player uh, input was key, a key factor into Greg Berhalter being hired. I hear this all the time. Well, I'm sure if you ask Ricardo Pepe, I'm sure if you ask Joe Reyna, I'm sure if you ask Joe Scally or John Anthony Brooks about Greg Berhalter, mm -hmm. maybe the reaction is different. Yeah, maybe you're right. Guess what? Neither of them is Christian Pulisic. Neither of them was Tim Ream. Neither of them was uh, some of these important players here. I think player input, I'm sorry, I got to cut you off. I think player input can be dangerous because because a, a guy who is saying But it carries some, weight. But, it, but can, you, can you acknowledge that? Yes, if it's yes. genuine input. What I think you have when, when we know that the manager is still a candidate, and that was made publicly clear by yeah. U.S. Soccer, and then you ask a player publicly what they think of bringing a, a potential candidate back, you're in, you're in between a rock and a hard place. You can't really be honest. So if that's the input, if it's not private, if it's public statements from players, you got to take that and, with a big grain and of salt. And also, and from some it's in an individual. It's in an individual right. choice because these players, some of these players, like Christian Pulisic, who's a very good player, right, and is a very important mm -hmm. player in the U.S. Men's National Team, who's the one coach over the years that's given him that confidence? Yeah, Berhalter. It's Berhalter. It wasn't Frank Lampard. It wasn't Thomas Tuchel. It wasn't anybody else uh, at Chelsea. It was Greg Berhalter. So why? Wouldn't he want Greg Berhalter back? Does it mean it's the best thing for the program? No. But I understand why Christian Pulisic and some of these players said that. I was really interested in this you know, press conference to get answers, right? I want to kind of timeline answers. When did you start talking to people? The, the most telling things to me about this um, was how much U.S. soccer, not just in the press conference, but in all the material that they're putting out, are trying to tell us how thorough this process was. And whenever somebody goes out of their way to tell you how thorough something was, it right, almost... Look how much of a good job I did. It feels like me... You're protesting a little too much. Like, why are you going so far out of your way? And then we heard the, the story from Greg Berhalter where he says, I had kind of my final interviews. And before I'd gotten out of town, Matt Crocker called me and told me I had the job. I also learned that Greg Berhalter was the last interview. So he must have knocked the socks off Crocker there. But Crocker didn't keep going and didn't keep talking to people uh, after Berhalter. He straight up offers them the job. So we hear thorough process, thorough process. But the dates. They don't seem to add up. They don't seem to add up to a thorough process. So that's what was disappointing to me about today. There was an opportunity to explain that away. We don't really get concrete answers. And as far as the budget is concerned, I don't think we really got like concrete answers there. You can't say from what literally on the same podium, Matt Crocker can't say, you know, I, all the double digit coaches was to me is saying all the big name coaches. The guys who aren't known for working with younger players, who don't have that, that connection to the American game, all those guys are off the table. Meanwhile, just down the podium, JT Batson saying, no, there was no limit to what we could do right. here. Either you had blind ambition and you swung for the fences, or you played it safe. And I, well, I was hearing both, I was hearing both those answers out of the same mouth. And that was that was to me frustrating um, in terms of what what was supposed to be a, a clarification today from U.S. soccer. I, I think and, they just left us with in, more Especially in a day after a lot of misinformation, right? There's a lot of misinformation right. about one can and cannot spend compared. Right, let's just address that uh, just directly. You know, we heard from Charlie Davies on CBS that the men's national team hiring budget is directly connected to the women's national team hiring budget. I did uh, talk to some people at the Federation today. I, I could not get that linked that directly. 
Overall, are there budget issues at U.S. soccer that definitely limit, like, can't just stroke a $25 million. Correct. Can't just go to Pep, right? Correct. That would be very difficult. But admit that then. Say that. Don't right. tell me that there's this limitless budget and that the board was okay with spending everything. You know, tell us that 2026 is big, but we can't go broke chasing it. Listen, this is one of the major concerns with fans and a lot of pundits is, is the lack of transparency. Because they could say, hey, this was a rigorous process and they could write down, they could do the, like their little PowerPoints that they love doing. The they could show readings. us, yes, the LL <laughs> readings, the, the double digits. All, that doesn't mean anything. No. What did you have to spend? Who were the candidates? Uh, what did you ask? We go from there. None of that's being introduced to us. None of that's being presented. So it leaves everybody just wondering more. And then when you have this misinformation, JT Batson, I'm, I'm talking mm -hmm. about that misinformation. CEO. Where, yeah, where he's saying, the CEO is saying, unlimited amount. It didn't matter. That, that wasn't the issue here. But then you're hearing that they went with a guy who made, what, $1.6 million last year? Mm -hmm. Was probably on the lower Very end. Very accessible. Yes. Very accessible. Um, it, it should be noted, we are hearing reports of voices of dissent within U.S. soccer. I believe Steve Goff of the Washington Post was first to report that there was at least one member yeah. of the board that was not on board with right. this. It wasn't that, unanimous. Right. It was not unanimous. What does that tell you? Well, that tells you that it's, there's a voting process and mm -hmm. somebody obviously uh, didn't see eye to eye with having bringing Greg Berhalter back, which is fair. I've got my own set of questions. I, I'm very curious if they even asked some of the sponsors uh, from a PC point of sure, view. Sure, right. You know, oh, the domestic violence. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was something that came up in the press conference. I, my thought is, has been always on this. So... Cindy Parlow Cohn said the word allegations are taken right. very seriously. It has to be made very clear. This was not an allegation of domestic violence. This was an admission of domestic violence right. by Greg Berhalter. And the investigation, I was told, confirmed that, right? At that point, it would have been very easy, and I think it would have been the correct decision from an organizational standpoint to say, you know what? Whether we think this person can be rehabilitated or not, whether we think Greg Berhalter is good or bad, we have somebody who is admitted to domestic violence, and that is a disqualifier from being any position in this organization, but specifically the men's national team coach. They didn't do that. And now they have created a precedent where they say there are some acts of domestic violence where you can still work at U.S. soccer. And when you talk about sponsors, women working at the Federation, all those people, you are eventually going to have to answer to those, those people yeah. because we all know what happened. It's public. It's a fact. And U.S. soccer still said, we want this guy. It's not that they necessarily disregarded it entirely, but they have overlooked it. They have moved past it to bring back Greg Berhalter. And that... That says a lot about U.S. soccer, and I would say, uh, as somebody who's followed the organization for a long time, I think that's a disappointing conclusion. And Very we'll disappointing. And we'll see what happens because sponsors are key, right? They're the ones yeah. who sign the checks. They're the ones who keep this going. So we'll see exactly how they navigate those fields, but, I, but I'm with you there. Yeah. All right, so we've heard about lots of data. Let's leave you with some more data. This is Greg Berhalter's record against non-CONCACAF teams. Data. Just data submitted without opinion.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. United States versus Canada on Sunday from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Boy, it'll be tough for her. Who's he going to root for? His two favorite teams in CONCACAF. You love, love you some Canada. It'll be the first competitive meeting between these two nations. I'm an honorary Canadian. A final. You are. You did live there for yeah. a, a few years while you played yeah. with Toronto FC. Of course, the U.S. will not be at full strength for the final. Weston McKinney and Serginho Dest seeing red cards last night. Uh, lots of discussion about both these ejections in the aftermath of the semi. Here's why. B.J. Callahan, the interim manager, and I'm sure a guy who certainly uh, enjoyed the victory last night, had to say about both expulsions to Dest and McKinney. These are these are rivalry games. These are derby games. Things like this happen across across the world. In no way am I embarrassed because we we have a strong culture in our team, and uh, th- what happened what happens is. Uh, it comes from a good place. They care about each other so much in that locker room that you know they're, they're standing up for each other. And, and and it's a you know sometimes does it have a an issue where we take a red card? Yeah, but it you know when you know where it comes from, um, you, you know you can accept it. Uh, and it's a learning lesson for us all. It's it's a learning lesson for us because now we're going to go you know play in the final. Um, but it's also something that we preach next man up. And we've got 23 guys on this team, and it's a reason we're going to use all 23 players uh, to, to, you know, go go try and win a second trophy. All right, Herc, big questions for B.J. Callahan. Did he say use all 23 players? He did. Where have we heard that before? Oh, man. <laughs> Why don't we help B.J. Callahan out a little bit? Okay. Uh, those are some big, big question marks right there. you got to figure out what to do with Serginio Dest out, what to do with Weston McKinney out. What's the solution? Well, first off, what you lose with those two players, right? You lose playmakers. Mm. Uh, you lose a player in Weston McKinney who was helping Eunice Musa be that double pivot because Tyler Adams isn't here. You're losing Serginho Dest. Say what you want about Serginho Dest not playing at Milan. He looked ridiculous. He looked like he was sharp. He was in shape. Every time he goes forward, he was dangerous. No look passes in the final third. Dude, the himself. pass to Pepe, like, uh, you know, in live, you kind of miss it. Having seen replay after replay, oh, 
Yeah. I mean, and it's not the first time he's done it. We just saw him do it in, in Arizona against the, the Mexican national team as well. The, the pass to Jesus Ferreira, so he's a, he's a playmaker there. You lose two very good players, and your team's going to get weaker. Right. Let's be honest, your team will be weaker because these are two very good players, premier players. So what you need to do is, well, it's going to be by committee again. Right? Okay. So uh, same starting line, or same starting back line, I should okay. say. So it's going to be Matt Turner in goal. On the left-hand side, Anthony Robinson. I'm going to go Chris Richards, Miles Robinson. By the way, very good. These two center backs were very good against Mexico. Joe Scally, come on down. Joe Scally's going to get his chance for Serginho Dest. Joe Scally's played over 20 Bundesliga games this season. I don't want to hear. He, he should be ready for this moment. Young kid. Hopefully, uh, they, they, they help him out there. But in the midfield, very interested. It's Eunice Musa, and it's going to be Luca De La Torre. Mm -hmm. And Luca De La Torre is going to try to mimic what Weston McKinney did last night and be in that double pivot with Eunice that guy? Musa. I mean, I feel like they're he, so they different did it, They did it versus El Salvador. I don't know if you remember against El Salvador. In he the qualifier, yes, right. Uh, in the uh, Nations League here. Ah, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, so it will be interesting. He's a very different player. He doesn't have just as much energy or bite as uh, Weston McKinney, but his range and vision is where I think he could really do some damage offensively. And he's a connector. He's very different in the way he connects as Eunice Musa. Eunice Musa will drive forward. Luca De La Torre will drive with the ball. I mean, he will put the ball forward. So it's a very different vision. On the left-hand side, Christian Pulisic. Do not move him. He's your goal scorer right now. He's the you playmaker. You set the gun. You set the gun. Timothy Weah. Don't move Timothy Weah. The speed outside because Canada will present some opportunities uh, like the Mexican national team did. I, I, I'll get into Canada in a second. Right. But I went with Ricardo Pepe. Okay, you have to remember Ricardo Pepe. It doesn't matter who comes in, you always count Ricardo Pepe out. Everybody has counted Ricardo Pepe out, and all he's done is score goals. He saved Greg Berhalter's job in the opening window World Cup qualifying. While everybody's talking about the gun Balogun, while everybody's talking about flow, Ricardo Pepe kept scoring goals in the Eredivisie. He kept his head down. When he came back to the U.S. Men's National Team, he would score goals again, and still everybody's talking about somebody else. Ricardo Pepe wants you to know he's here as well. Ricardo Pepe came on last night, scored a goal. Flo had a good, solid shift for my money. Yes, B, we gave him a B last night. You gave him a but B. he put like 75 minutes in. I'm going to give him a rest and let him come off the bench to go around. I want to see Ricardo Pepe in this final. I think this is a good lineup for the U.S. Men's National Team. Obviously, the replacing the Tyler Adams and what he can give you. Mm -hmm. Worked last night versus the Mexican National Team. Uh, let's see if they can do it now without Weston McKinney. That's going to be... Uh, uh, not an easy feat. What's the bigger absence? Is it McKinney or is it Dest? It's McKinney. Yeah, because Serginho Dest is a very good player. Right. Like, he's a very good player going forward, right? But you can live without him right now. Mm. You you almost think for a second. Are you, are you saying that because of the depth at that spot? Well, it's it's almost a, a blessing in disguise because you're going to have Tejan Buchanan running down that side. Mm. And, and Tejan, you know, you give Tejan space, a little bit more he's going to take defender, it. Right? He's going to be definitely more of a defender, just as physical, just as fast. So it'll be interesting to see Tejan Buchanan versus Joe Scally. Uh, but Serginho going forward just offers you so much flexibility. It's an extra man in the midfield. He really is so tactile. He's a tactician in the midfield. He comes in from the outside back position. A lot of the ways that sometimes uh, Julian Nagelsmann, uh, right back, will come into the midfield. He joins the attack as a winger sometimes. He's a very good player, so you are going to miss something there. All right, let's go line by line, decide who has the edge for the Sunday final that will be played right here in Allegiant Stadium behind us in Las Vegas. Let's start not with the coaches, not with the forwards. Let's start with the defenders. That's right. After all, I was a defender back in my day. So who has the edge, Herc, when it comes 
to defending tomorrow. You can look at this any way, you know, I back like, line, back five, yeah, midfield I, defense, team defense, who has the edge? I'm going to give it to the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, hmm. okay. and, and, and Kamar Miller and, and Vittori, they're, they're, Vittori especially, I think he's at 36 right now. Let's see how his legs hold up uh, and in transition. We saw him at the World Cup when they had to deal with a more physical team and pace. If you're, if they allow you to run, you can hurt them. Uh, I'm going to stay with Chris Richards and Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson had like one quick moment in the opening 15 minutes where you're like, ah, oh, it was shaky. After that, both were phenomenal. Both were very good, very tidy, uh, so athletic. I really do feel Miles Robinson enjoying why you can Atlanta United because he gone. So it's tough for me to make this call, right? Because if I'm thinking about the U.S., I think, boy, their defense looked better than Canada's in the semifinal. But that might come down to the opponent, right? Like Panama definitely threatened Canada more yeah. than Mexico threatened the U.S. And I wonder if you're the U.S., you went through that semifinal almost easy like you haven't been tested at all and suddenly you're going to go from facing a mexico team that has 0.0, .0 danger to a, a canada team that's very dangerous you know my, my worry for the uh, u.s men's national team is mm. that canada will do what they did twice to them they'll let you have the ball here you mm. go you like having the ball show us how good you are with it and they will sit back like they did in nashville and they will sit back like they did in in uh, outside of toronto and hamilton uh, and they will just try to pick you apart on the counter and they're good at that they can run with you and not only can they run with you they can flat out embarrass you when it comes to speed with Tejon Buchanan, with an Alfonso Davies if he's on, Estacchio and his vision, with a Kyle Lahren, Jonathan David, it's a it's double nine up top. All these players have speed, all these players are good in the final third, and all these players can be lethal. All right, so Herc says the U.S. has the edge in defense. What about the other end of the field, the attack? Between the Canadian attackers and the American attackers, Herc? Oh, man. I, I, full strength, I'm taking Canada. It, it, this is, this is no-brainer for me because you're talking about the best player in CONCACAF in, in Alfonso Davies and the best nine in CONCACAF in Jonathan David. And who's the best? Who's the second best nine right now in CONCACAF? It could be Kyle Lahren. It could really be Kyle Lahren. You could arguably, arguably say it's Kyle Lahren. I will take them, and I will also take them because they've proven to be more dangerous against the U.S. men's national team than the U.S. men's national team versus this Canadian national team. I will take this. Even though Christian Pulisic coming off two goals right now, feeling himself and Timothy Weah looking like the Timothy Way of old, gold, uh, sorry, World Cup old, that could be a dangerous combo as well. I always think of finals as closed games, so you kind of need individual danger. Yeah. And that's why I would give the edge to Canada here, yeah. right? Davies, the most dangerous player on the field. David, the most dangerous finisher on the field. But if I think more collectively, I feel like the U.S. has more guys that could score goals. And maybe some of that is just coming off the semifinal. Like, uh, not to say that the Canadian attack did not look good against Panama, but the Mexican attack looked, or sorry, the American attack looked really, really good against Mexico. They maybe did. that's some recency bias. No, it could be. Listen, I, I picked Canada from the get-go, so there's no recency bias here. Um, I, I thought Canada was the strongest team heading into this competition. You're talking about players, and you're only talking about the big players. You're talking about Jonathan David. You're talking about Alfonso Davies. You're not talking about a stock here. You're not talking about Jonathan Osorio. A Tejon Buchanan is probably one of the premier 1v1 players in this region. They can hurt you in multiple ways, man. They really can. Okay. All right, let's get into the uh, final potentially deciding factor on Sunday night, and that would be in the technical area. Who's got the edge, John Herdman or B.J. Callahan? I, I mean, I've said multiple times John Herdman's the best coach in CONCACAF. John Herdman's had himself a horrible World Cup, made some difficult and just atrocious decisions in the World Cup. He's looking for redemption. I think he's the better coach out of the two by far. B.J. Callahan, 
listen, man, say what you want, but he's got a, a perfect record against Mexico, and he's the first coach to beat Mexico by three goals in the last, like, what, 30, 40 years, I think it was, a sat like that. So give him his credit, but you look at the body work, it's it's John Herdman all day. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think if, you're, if you were starting a team, who would you hire? You would definitely hire Herdman first. The one thing I think we saw last How night. How are his uh, double digits? Yes, yeah, right. What's, what's the budget there? Uh, from BJ Callahan is a carefree coach. Yeah. And that carefree attitude definitely filtered into the U.S. team. We'd heard under Anthony Hudson the guys were a little more carefree, but those weren't really meaningful games. Right. To play the way that they did, I think, I don't know if Callahan deserves like a lot of credit for that. Maybe no, he I does. Just, he okay. does. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. that way I, I see him having, like Herdman's got to worry about what happens and the consequences of the final. Callahan's like, hey man, we played great. Let's roll it out there. Let's have fun. And I think that could give the U.S. an edge. That, that kind of carefree approach. To yeah, but the U.S. is the, the U.S. is the one under pressure here. Still you think? Oh yeah. They're the, I mean in the eyes of many in the outside world, they're the better program. Like I, I have this discussion all the time and, and people are like, what are you talking about? Canada? They don't give Canada the respect that they deserve. Canada may have a better team, but the better program is the U.S. Men's National Team. So the U.S. Men's National Team right now has the pressure on them. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Speaking of Canada and the respect that it gets or doesn't get, let's talk about the giants of CONCACAF, or gigantes de CONCACAF, as we like to say on this show, a conversation we frequently have on this show. We want to know if Sunday's final will decide who is truly in charge of CONCACAF. But before you hear from us, let's hear what Greg Berhalter had to say about it earlier today. I don't, you know, it's not even worth getting into that. What I'd say is we're a team that's developed. We're a team that's improved and we're a team that wants to keep going. And, and for us, it's how do we continue to win in our region and how do we beat world soccer powers and knockout games? And we're going to be tested with that. There's Copa America coming up and obviously the World Cup. And we're going to have to learn how to, how to beat big opponents in knockout games. That's the next step for this group. Herc, will the new giant of CONCACAF be decided on Sunday's final? Absolutely. Yes. If the U.S. men's national team beats Canada, they're the giant of CONCACAF. Listen, I've said many times that I enjoyed the way the Canadian team played through World Cup qualifying. They dominated World Cup qualifying. A very good team. The only team to take points off home and away. Both Mexico and the United States national team in a World Cup qualifying campaign. And I know people bring up the World Cup, but that World Cup group was ridiculous. I mean, two yeah. semifinalists in Croatia and Morocco and the number two ranked team in the world, the Golden Generation of Belgium. Uh, it is what it is there. But this Canadian national team, to me, is the real deal. But it's very hard not to call the U.S. men's national team the giant of CONCACAF if you're going on six undefeated versus mm -hmm. Mexico and you've won every title that's been out there for you to win. Yeah. Realistic title, continental title uh, throughout your process. If they do it again, there's, there's no two ways about it. They would be the giant of CONCACAF at the moment. What's interesting is how quickly we've discarded Mexico from this conversation. There, there is no longer a thought that, that Mexico is kind of involved at all. It truly does feel like U.S. and Canada are now kind of playing for the 
top spot. I agree with you that if the U.S. wins, they're, they're pretty clear the new giants of CONCACAF. Yeah. The one thing I would say if Canada wins is that there's not that history. And well, I, know, I, know, I know we try to focus on, on the current moment right. and not go too far back, right. but Giant does, does tend to make you think like, you've been in charge for a while. Like there's some, there's, well, it's not just a, if that's a, a, the case, a momentary If that's thing. the case, then there's no discussion and it's Mexico, because we're gonna go back no, to no, 1930s. No. Uh, okay, let's say recent history though. I mean, Canada has really truly just arrived. Can right. truly put them at the top of the mountain already? When's the last time the US, the US has beat them twice in the last five games, one of those times was a friendly the other time was in the, the gold cup with the B team yeah so with Canada B team so yeah uh, you know it's a good shout but it's Truth very is, hard it's very hard to discount yeah. the recent history yeah I mean you're talking about two to three years worth of them playing well and remember where they were in World Cup qualifying they had to qualify for that octagonal mm. you know they actually did a whole World Cup qualifying campaign so to see the growth of this Canadian national team is, is impressive I guess when we use the word giant it makes you think that this country is miles ahead of everybody else and I just don't think we have that in no no I, I it's 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 yeah. it's the uh, Smurfs neck neck. it's the Smurfs arguing yeah. about who's the tallest right we are in Las Vegas I have lost some money while here, so let's try to make some of that back, shall we? Time to book it, CONCACAF Nations League Final Edition. I'm literally, I'm going straight across the, what's the highway here? This is 95. Okay, so I'm going straight Oh, this one's two, this is the 15. Okay, I'm going straight across 215, straight to a casino, Herc. Not to place my bets, because they've been losing all week. To right. place your bets, so give me your, your book. We got, we're doing a prop and a parlay. Let's start we're, with the game prop first. Okay, can we roll it out? So, producer, bet the police, so I can see that right there. Did you forget? Here we go. <laughs> uh, this is easy. It's uh, both teams to score at uh, minus 105. This is an easy one for me. I do very much like both offenses. I think uh, both will get their goals. They're flying right now. There's a lot of speed on both ends. Uh, Canada, I think, would be good for a goal. I think the U.S. Men's National is feeling themselves right now. They found their pattern of play, their wing play, their progressions. They seem to be... Uh, causing a lot of success with that. I think there will be a, a goal for each on this one. So this is an easy one for me at 105. I feel good about this. Mm. If you're saying both teams have scored, does that mean you don't really think it'll be like a defensive KG final? I think it can be, but I still think goals okay. will happen. Okay, there's yeah. enough quality on the field, Correct. I think. Okay, so Herc says both teams to score minus 105. That's a conservative play by your standards. A bit. But you want to have winners. We're yeah, in Vegas. I, I looked at the props, and this is the one that most convinced me. Okay, well, if you think that one of those goal scores might be Christian Pulisic, you're going to like my next bet. Right. Now, you know, I, I, had, I had some success with this in Qatar. Just kept hammering. Christian Pulisic, anytime goal scorer. It's coming out at plus 330 here. Now, really what I would love, I just couldn't find find this, this bet, if you could get Christian Pulisic goal or assist, the payout would obviously be much less, but I would love that. I still think, man, he is the most goal dangerous player and anybody who thought that his club form would impact what he is with the national team, I mean, First 15, 20 minutes, fine. It wasn't great last night. No. From the 20-minute mark he was on, ridiculous. he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He carries that into the final. He will get himself into great chances what to score. What was that, plus 330? Plus 330. So right? against Mexico, it was plus 600, I believe. Really? Yes, I saw oh. that I saw that prop bet. So obviously, Christian Pulisic is a... Uh... <laughs> what was the Pulisic brace paying out against Ridic Mexico? Yeah, right? right. All right. Okay. So plus 330 there, that's uh, that's my prop bet. We'll go from prop to parlay. Okay. It's a parlay for the Producer Beto wanted a little parlay here, so this is where I got to parlay. Are they going to be obviously the U.S. or the U.S. versus uh, Canada game, and it's going to be the over in goals, 1.5. So two goals or more, 
and Canada win. This isn't in regulation. This is them to win. Them okay, to lift Canada the win the cup. Okay, yes. got it. I thought win the cup. Canada no, 90. not no, okay, not okay. 90. Canada win the cup. More than two goals in this game. It's a hell of a payoff for that. Yes. yes. Well, that a, you're a good shopper here in Vegas. I That's am a good shopper here. Okay, I like this one. I've rode. I've ridden with Canada since the beginning. I'm gonna keep it going. I'm not gonna do recency bias. The US Men's National Team is making me second guess this. Right. Absolutely, right. absolutely, but the payout is too good. That plus 400 is way too good for something I originally thought would happen. Right, all right, so you go Canada win, not in 90, just to lift the cup, over one and a half goals. Yes. I mean, I still can't get over what I saw from the U.S. last night, so I gotta pick the United it's States. It's making me second against myself. Of course the Serginho Dest absence is critical. Of course the Weston McKinney absence is critical. But man, they just, they looked so good. So I am saying the U.S. men's national team to win in 90, and I'm going over two and a half goals scored. It pays out at plus 280. I know that finals are supposed to be cagey, and I, and I usually like to stick to my rules. I don't like to bet teams, I like to bet situations. But man, I just, you saw what Canada was able to do against Panama, you saw what the United States was able to do against Mexico, and then you look on paper and you see all the attacking quality. Herc, I don't see how there aren't three goals scored in this game. At the very least, three, four, five really credible chances, and we've got decent finishers there as well. So uh, I'm saying the U.S. men's national team to win, and I'm going over two and a half goals. I do think that there will be goals in this final. I'm trying to think of the last time there were at least two goals in a game between the U.S. men's national team and Canada, and I'm, I'm a, probably that Gold Cup. I think it was a 1-0. Well, the qualifiers, the qualifiers one, were... 1-1 and then 2-0. 2-0, then So, yeah. so there, yeah. there, there are some there are some goals for sure, especially when it's the first teams. There's a lot of quality on the field. I agree with you. There will be some goals. Man, it, it's so difficult, and especially this. I don't like betting with my heart, and I don't like betting sometimes with emotion. And the emotion is telling me that we saw Mexico versus the U.S. men's national team, which is always a fight, which is always a 50-50 in my eyes. Like that's what it is in a Clásico. That's what it is in these derbies. Canada has recently has had the U.S. men's national team's number. Right. Like they, John Herman is out coached. Greg Berhalter, but Just this is like Greg Berhalter's coaching dream. Yeah, yeah. You know, he knows how to play them. He will give them the ball. He will play transition and pick them apart. I, I just think they, they have that right now. Just like the U.S. gets up for Mexico, right. Canada gets up for the United States. Let's take a look at the odds for Sunday's final as we are here in Las Vegas. We didn't have to go all that far to get them. 90-minute odds. Okay, USA plus 110. Canada plus 250. The draw over 90 minutes coming in at plus 220. Over two and a half goals plus Plus 135, under two and a half goals, minus 180. So the odds makers think we won't see all that many goals on Sunday between the United States and Canada. Oh, Canada. What about the third place game and the Mexican national team? Of course, still recovering from the 3-0 last night against the United States. Diego Coca and his team training ahead of the match against Panama on Sunday now. Diego Coca, no surprise, did not speak today, but he gave us a lot to talk about from what he said last night after the game. ¿Ya pasado por la cabeza renunciar o, o es algo que, que es exagerado por parte de los medios de comunicación? Yo vuelvo a repetir lo mismo de siempre. Yo sueño con un proceso de tres años y medio. Van cuatro meses. Quizás es momento de, de aceptar ¿no? que Estados Unidos hoy como selección está un paso por delante que la selección mexicana? 
No lo sé, no, no, no me interesa mucho. A mí me interesa la selección mexicana. Y para que nosotros estemos al máximo nivel, todavía falta mucho. Cuando estemos al máximo nivel, yo creo que vamos a poder competir. Eh, estoy seguro, estoy convencido. Pasa que falta, falta mucho. También hemos tenido la... A ver, eh, la selección este, de Estados Unidos tienen, trajo a todos sus jugadores de Europa, nosotros no. El Chucky está lesionado, eh, bueno, Raúl y el Tecate también, que todavía no están. Y son jugadores que juegan a Europa, son jugadores que tienen otras velocidades. Hoy no los tuvimos. Time for another edition of Get Lost. Are we telling Diego Coca to get lost here? And if so, how loud are we doing it? Go ahead, Seb. I'll let get you lost, <laughs> Diego Coca. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? That player excuses? I mean, it's so disingenuous. He can hardly even get it out. We're missing Raul Jimenez. I mean, Raul Jimenez hasn't been an important player for this team for a year, and he would have made 0.0 difference last night. We're missing Tecatito. Hello, Tecatito has broken leg for the last year. 0.0 difference he would have made last night. Even a guy like Chucky Lozano. Nobody could honestly say that the Chucky we've seen for the last year, year and a half, would have made a difference Whoa. last night. That was the most in disingenuous excuse making that I've ever seen. I there's some part of me that wants to like put a put an arm around Diego Coca. You know, everybody's out to get him. He's only been there five, six days. But he loses me there. You know, he loses me there. It's just it's it's not just excuses, it's BS excuses. It is, it is very much so. Uh, in this active player pool, the leading goal scorer against the US men's national team for Mexico is Uriel Antuna with two goals. It's Uriel Antuna, that guy with two goals. That's what it is. It isn't Chucky Lozano, it isn't Raul Jimenez, it isn't Tecatito Corona. And it sounds like sour grapes because if the U.S. lost and B.J. Callahan goes up on that podium and says, hey, we didn't have Tim Ream. Hey, we didn't have Tyler Adams. Hey, Josh Sargent wasn't here. You know what? Actually, it's different because if those guys, you would have said, oh, you know what? Tim Ream actually played in the World Cup. He was a pretty good player and plays in the Premier League. You would have said, Tyler Adams, he's hugely important. Oh, I actually agree with B.J. Callahan. There's nothing here to agree with. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, It just shows you that... I guess not only frustration, but the not knowing where to even look. Desperation. The, yeah, the desperation. Because the fact that he says, I don't know, I don't care, when asked about <laughs> if, the main the, rival. if the main rival has your number, it shows a lack of understanding for where you are at that exact moment. So what do you make of the reports that we're starting to hear kind of trickle out from down in Mexico that there are players who want to just abandon the national team? Right here in, right here in Las Vegas, these yeah. reports are coming. Right, okay. like, it, it, So the national team is still here, uh, about maybe 15 yeah. miles away. <laughs> I don't know why they're in Lake Las Vegas. That's a that's a story for another time. But there are murmurs coming out that certain players don't even want to. That national team is taking their A team to the Gold Cup, and now some of those big players are saying, "Yeah, guy, I don't I don't even want to be here for this." Yeah, I, and that is damning. Yeah, that is very damning to the current situation that's walking on eggshells for Mexican football and to Diego Coca and his credibility as the coach moving forward. Yeah, you want to talk about how bad things are? Players don't want to go to the national team. Think about think about what. Being on the national team meant to your career. Yeah. And think that there are guys who are like, not I'm, I'm too good for it, just I don't enjoy it. I hate it so much that I would rather not go. That to it, me It kind of puts everything Carlos Vela has done in perspective. Right? <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Maybe maybe all the guys that have kind of walked away, we now, we now look at them in a different light. Let's talk about the changes that we would make or that, in this case, I would make. Yes. Now, I asked producer Beto, I said, he said, what changes would you make to the lineup? I said, todos nuevos. Can I, can I call new guys in from Mexico and just, can I find new people, new humans? You cannot. Okay. It has to be on the roster. He, Beto said, no, you got to stick with the guys that are here in Las Vegas. So I did my best to come up with a lineup that... I would feel good about that Mexican fans could maybe feel good about against Panama. I want to start off with just the formation and and I've done something very obvious here. I'm not playing a back five. And this is not about the players. This is about Diego Coca. Diego Coca saw very clearly that his formation, the back five, was not working against the United States. I want to see him, because he didn't adjust in the second half, adjust here. I want Diego Coca to prove to me that he can play something different when he realizes that what he's doing isn't working. So I want him to, to force himself to do something different in the back. I'm staying with Memo Cho. I wasn't thrilled with his performance uh, against the United States, but he's still the best that Mexico got. Obviously, at right back, need to do something different. Julian Araujo, let's give him a shot. Let's try new things. Victor Guzman. Um, I, look, I would have loved that to be Cesar Montes. He's not available. I, I want to see Cesar Montes become the guy there. He's the only bright spot I can point at to Mexico from the game against the United States, and it wasn't that bright. Uh, but I'll go with Victor Guzman there because he's young and he's got potential. Let's let's see. I'm, you know, I know he played on the left side of the back three, but maybe he can give you some help there. Got to see Johan Vasquez. I have to see a guy who's playing. If not every week, pretty much every week. I know it's a terrible team in Syria. They go down, but he's going to be a Syria player next week. Next year, it looks like you got to see him at, at left center back. Jesus Gallardo is literally the only choice. Uh, I would have preferred it to be Artiaga, but red card, he's gone. In midfield, I've got Edson. Not thrilled with him, but best you got. Luis Chavez, not a great performance against the United States, but best you got. And Sebastián Córdoba. I need somebody who has some type of danger. Uh, I could have put him up in a more attacking role, but I figured Orbelín would be a little bit, a little bit better fit. Up there, I, I was kind of not sure what to do with Cordoba and Orbelin. I'll go Orbelin up top. Osiel Herrera, again, let's just try different things. Dangerous guy. And Santiago Jimenez, of course, of course, absolutely, 100% must start this game. If Diego Coca does not start Santiago Jimenez in this game, he should be fired at halftime. Uh, yeah, there's not too many things to say about the lineup that you've chosen. I think it's pretty self-explanatory of who fans would like to see. My only, I guess, comment here would be Sebastian Cordoba and his health. Uh, there's a lot of questions about his health. That's why he didn't start. Uh, he didn't train I mean, with the team all I week. If you're good enough to, if you're healthy enough to play a little bit, right? Yeah, you're not healthy enough to start. If you're, you know, that's that. So uh, remains to be seen. And Luis Chavez, uh, you got to keep him central and on the left if you can. Uh, but other than that, I agree with you. Osiel Herrera is a very talented one v one player. You got to give him an opportunity. Santiago Jimenez, I think we're all scratching our heads of why he didn't play more when he did come on. By the way, he only touched the ball five times. Yeah. So you need to do something to get that nine position more looks because Henry Martin touched about 22 times. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Memo Choa touched the ball a lot more than that. Do you know Do you know why that's so frustrating? Because we've not really seen Santiago get that chance. And so it feels like every time that he goes out, it's the first time you're seeing him. Or yeah. he's playing with the B guys. Or he's playing with guys coming off the bench. So he's only going to have nine touches because nobody knows how to play with him. You have this incredible weapon. Five touches. Five touches. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The one weapon that you might have on that, a real weapon that scores yeah. in Europe that you might have on that front line. And even when it gets in, it looks like first day of school. Can I just point out something when you look at that lineup, it makes the decision to leave the likes of Diego Lainez and Alvarado at home. He 
even more like of a head scratching, just what are you doing type of moment? Because what would you give right now to put a Diego Linus in there? Or Alvarado, who played very well in, in for Chivas in that playoff in the Liga and heading to that final. And you look at the bench and, well, you got to go to Riel Antuna, who didn't look so good against the U.S. Men's Nash team. And is that Riel Antuna, you got to go to what, Charlie Gonzalez? Or Rodriguez, excuse me, Charlie Rodriguez? Yeah. It's not th the most positive of scenarios for you. So it really makes what Diego Coca is doing today more of a head scratcher. Yeah. So there we have it, the uh, changes that we would try to make to this uh, Mexican national team to give them a better shot against Panama. Let's see uh, how they do in the third place game on Sunday. Let's see if we can find something positive okay. for our friends watching who are fans of Mexican football. We're going to go into the youth national teams. Mexico taking on France at the uh, under 21 level. We'll pick this one up 30 minutes into the game. Mexico attacking. And they score. Hey, there are Mexican players that can finish her. Yeah, it's a very good finish right there. Look, it's it's actually the goalkeeper kind of makes a meal of it. It's it's uh, actually the goalkeeper makes a meal of it. It's Mexico's U23 team versus France's U21 team. Ah, but, but there's a quick response from France. Ben Seguir there with the uh, equalizer for the French after Angel Robles had scored the goal for Mexico to make it 1-0. But the French there equalizing in the 39th minute. 47th minute, Uciel Garcia puts Mexico back on top. Yeah, reminiscent of Jekyll's goal in, in the Champions League final right there. It's a corner kick, well-worked play, and left-footed finish. A few minutes after that, France on the attack. And we're going to the spot. Yeah, you don't need to go down there. You don't need to leave your feet. Matistel steps up, slams it home, and we're all tied at two. So we're going to penalties, Hurt. Oh. And Rami Jacquet with the uh, miss for France. Marcelo Flores, we know him. Fourth penalty for Mexico. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Ghosts of Mexican penalties in the past. Jonathan Perez, he steps up and slams it home. That's Drills a it. penalty. And then Andrea Dakar for France, misses. Mexico in the semifinals of the Maurice Revelo tournament. Final, final, final. Sorry, fi uh, final. Beating France 2-2, uh, two two. they are that was a semi-final. Correct, sir. Yes, so they are uh, through to the final there with a face-off against uh, Panama. Double game for against Panama on Sunday. Ah, which one's more important, he said to himself, sadly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Steady. Time to check the mentions here on Football America. Boy, I don't know that we've had a juicier segment of late than check the mentions. What are the, uh-oh, uh good people saying here? Soccer never sleeps. I'm going to pull the curtain back a little here. Production, help me with this one. Okay, ah, so Jonathan is asking, what two things, Sir, only two things, would you change from an FMF standpoint to fix the program? To fix the program? Yeah. Fix Mexican football for us. Okay, that's very simple. There seems to be a clear and evident gap of talent when it comes to players after the U17 age group and the U around that U20 age group of actually playing in first division. And the reason is because there's so many foreign players. There, in a, there is no cap in quality like in the UK where you'd say, the foreign players who are here, there's a limited amount, but those limited amount are of quality. And because there is no cap, you just get a lot of players that are blocking the domestic talent. So there should be a, a cap on those foreign talents. And I would also bring back the rule of playing some of these younger players at 2011, where you had to get a certain amount of minutes, but teams take it seriously. I think if you introduce less foreign players so there are more opportunities and you make these teams actually develop these players on the field not in training sessions on the field Mexican soccer will grow if I could think of two things I would point at finances right maybe make finances 
they could still be the priority. They don't have to be such an overwhelming priority. It's such a broad thing, though. Well, okay, for instance, friendlies in the United States. Moleros. Why are you playing those games? What's the benefit of those games? How do those games help you grow as a national team? What are you sacrificing when you're playing those games instead of playing better competition? So I understand it's a business. Finances can be a priority. Maybe they shouldn't be the most overwhelming priority. Right. The other thing I would point to that I mentioned is the politics. I don't know how you do this, but you need to take as much of the politics of Mexican football out of Mexican football. We cannot have owners basically being my guy, your guy, my guy, your guy, and five games into a this cycle. This is very difficult because I am thinking of like three more right now. And okay, they're give us two. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just, the yeah. most obvious is you need to export more players. Like you can't have Liga MX being their only platform to gain exportations with so many other countries having different avenues for these athletes. Yeah, Club America spending $7 million on Kevin Alvarez is just the, the worst thing. Yeah. I just can't accept that. Hot couch nuggets. With a last question here on Football America's Check Dimensions. For those of us who love the U.S. men's national team, yet refuse to drink the Burhalter Kool-Aid, how do we navigate the next three and a half years? Because it's like you said last night, GGG is not our best option. He doesn't get the best out of our pool. So how are we supposed to expect more? Great question. I would start by, don't worry, it's only three years. I would start by that. It won't be three and a half, it's only three years. But you navigate it the same way you've been navigating when Greg Wilders was here, by holding him accountable, holding those above them accountable, knowing that you, the fan, the consumer, are valuable. And maybe they're not going to listen to your input on the coach, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to demand. And don't let anybody make you feel inadequate about demanding more. Toxic. Yeah, right. you're not toxic. for. Well, there are certain levels of how you should demand and what you can do, but demand more from your national team, demand more from your federation. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think you can focus on the players. Like, yeah. if I'm an American fan, and I, I sensed a lot of this last night, people were quick to move past a 3 nothing against Mexico to really sink their teeth into the anger over Greg Berhalter. Uh, what, you, what you know about Greg Berhalter is this. He got you to a World Cup after right. you didn't get there, and he got you out of a group phase, right? He's not an incompetent, useless coach, no matter what the internet says. He is a competent and useful coach. I agree with you. He's not the best coach you could have gotten. He's not the coach that's going to excite the fan base the most. So focus on the players. you got a hell of an incredible class generation of players that, if you're an American fan, should excite you. And I don't think you should focus on the national manager as one part and let that ruin a, a great generation, right. or be a great night like last night. Like, I would have thought U.S. fans would have been like, eh, the Burhalter thing, that's a bummer, but hey, we just beat Mexico 3 nothing. We smashed them. We sent them back into the Stone Age. And instead, the focus was all on. Do you not feel that important now? What's that? Do you not feel that important now? What do you mean? Because the attention's not on you, being the Mexico fan. <laughs> it's nice for once. <laughs> Who said I was a Mexico fan? I was telling my mom I'm going to marry Rafi a U.S. fan. You told me that, to, too. I, don't want I to said, let him decide. Yeah, right. Well, watching these two teams play, it's going to be a, uh, a pretty easy decision. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas from here in Las Vegas. Of course, we uh, look ahead to the Sunday final. USA against Canada, Panama, and Mexico will be playing as well. And on Monday, from the NBA studios, I'm told, in Los Angeles, Herc and I will be together again for a full recap of the CONCACAF Nations League final. Who will be the new giant of CONCACAF? Will it be the U.S.? Will it be Canada? We are 48 hours from finding out in Las Vegas. For Herc, I'm Seb. We'll see you on Monday.